In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 27, we read the account of Jesus and the blind man and the mute guy. And in verse 27, it says, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no news spreads about, uh, that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the good news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, who could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. So right here we see Jesus walking around doing his daily ministry routine, and he's being followed by these two blind guys. Now the blind guys refer to him as son of David. This is an inference that they were Jews themselves. They even call him Lord later on. And they're following him around, and they obviously have a faith that Jesus can do something for them, to them. Right. And the Bible says that they're calling out. In other words, they're shouting or they're crying out for Jesus' attention. And they finally get his attention when he gets indoors. And they go up to him and they go, we believe that you can heal us. We believe that you can do something that's going to change us. And Jesus puts the ball in their court. It says, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. Now, did Jesus need their faith to do a miracle? No, he didn't need their faith to do a miracle. But a lot of times God puts the ball in our courts because these challenges are going to increase our faith. Yeah. And so he puts it on them. Let me see where your faith is at. And then according to your faith, it'll be done to you. Come on, bro. Of course, they're healed. And the inference right here is that as soon as they leave, as soon as they left the room, they start spreading the news all about Jesus, of course, in disobedience to what he just told them. Don't tell anybody about this. And while they're gone, a mute guy is brought to him. Now, we don't really know why he's mute until a miracle happens. The Bible says Jesus drove out the demon, and then the mute guy could speak. You know, a lot of times people are hindered by life, and it looks on the outside like there are, there are physical ailments or spiritual ailments, but the reality is they're possessed by a demon. And they need to come in contact with Jesus to have that demon driven out before anything in their life is going to change. Yeah. Wow. I really believe that God wants to change us personally. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to come in contact with Him. You see, this is where faith starts. When you start to see how God can work in your own life, then you start to believe that God can change the people around you. And eventually you gain the faith to go, God can change the world. Come on, yeah. man. But we've got to come in contact with Jesus and allow him to do miracles to us. Yeah, bro. You know, I do believe that in a sense, like these guys, these three guys right here, kind of sum up who we were before we came to Christ. Yeah. Blind and mute. No vision and nothing to say. Wow. And yet we come to Jesus, we're healed by him, the demons are driven out, and now we see the truth. And now we can share the truth. Yeah. And doesn't that, doesn't that define our discipleship yeah. as followers of Jesus? You guys with me here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a very real way, I believe that Jesus wants us to see the truth and to spread the truth. There's a couple things here that really stick out to me. Number one, these guys had a heart to cry out to God, to shout, to try to get Jesus' attention. And I think... 
In a very real way, a lot of us, when we first came to Jesus, we had that heart. We had that faith. We knew Jesus is the only one that's going to change my life. And we cried out. We made those phone calls. We begged God in prayer. Change who I am. And then God does the most amazing miracle he'll ever do in your life. And he forgives our sins. Amen. But then as time goes on, we start to take it for granted in a sense. And we stop believing that he's going to continually change us. He already did the greatest miracle (laughs) by saving you. And then we start to doubt, well, can he do any more? Will he do anymore? Does he even want to do any more? And because of that faithlessness, we start to settle into a mediocre Christianity. You know, one of the things that I believe we settle for as Christians, sadly, is shallow friendships. And yet 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, you've got to love one another deeply from the heart. You see, in the kingdom of God, Around other disciples, there should be no shallow relationships. This this should not be tolerated. This is unacceptable, according to the scriptures. We need to love each other deeply. That is not a suggestion. That is not just so you can selfishly better yourself. This is going to benefit all of us Mm -hmm. to have deep relationships. And this is something that I think our church really needs to grow in in a great way. To have deep relationships with one another. And you go, well, how do you do it? you got to do it from the heart. It's got to be a sincere love. A genuine concern. You know, you get closer to people when you get to know more about them. That's true. And it's the same with God. The more you know more about God, the closer you'll get. And so I think the second thing that we really start to settle in is our Bible knowledge. You know, many of us have heard the quote, once you get through the first principle studies... You now know more than 90% of the people in the Christian community. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's some truth to that. However, we should not settle because now we know 90% more than other people when we still got 99% more to learn about this. We should not settle for mediocre quiet times and just learning the basics, but yet rather trying to grow in our knowledge more and more and more. Having the heart of Psalm 1. Verse 2, which says, to meditate on his word day and night. Day and night. Not just in the mornings, not just in the evenings, but thinking about the scriptures. Having them embedded in your heart. To have them on your mind all day long. You guys with me here? We cannot settle for a mediocre and a minimal level Bible knowledge. Again, we need to be growing more and more in our knowledge. So we grow closer and closer to God. And I know this is true. I know this is true because this is how I get closer to my wife. I learned some stories over this weekend that I just had never heard before. <laughs> Maybe some of them I wish I hadn't heard, but I learned them. <laughs> and in a strange way, it made me feel closer to her. And it's the same with God. The more and more he reveals himself to us, and he speaks through the scriptures to us. Yeah. Isn't it true the closer you feel to him? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think we can settle for a mediocre discipleship. And I just mean that in the most general general of ways. In the fact that we can grow lukewarm in our commitment. You know, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, you know, Jesus rebukes the church in Laodicea for settling for lukewarmness. And, in fact, he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. I wish you would be either cold or hot. And a lot of times a lukewarm person will go, well, at least I'm not cold. 
Jesus goes, I would rather you be cold. Because you're confusing your brothers and sisters that are hot. They don't know whether to call you a Christian or not. And you're confusing people in the world because they see your hypocrisy, but you're still in church Sunday mornings. You just pick one. Either be committed to the world or be committed to Jesus. And in a very real way, we we got to drive that level of lukewarmness out of our hearts. You know, people that are mediocre in their discipleship are not going to give all of it when it comes to their contribution. They're not going to be committed every day. They're not going to go to every meeting of life. Let me tell you, some is always better than none. It's always better than none. And God wants us to be totally committed to him. You know, being a weak Christian is okay and acceptable in the eyes of God. As long as you don't waver in your commitment. Yeah. See, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord range out the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are totally committed Come to Him. Yeah. We have to understand that commitment precedes strengthening. And so often we go, Well, I'm not committed because I'm weak in my faith. Mm. No, you awesome. can be just as committed as a strong person, even with a weak faith. Let's yeah. get rid of the lukewarm. Amen. Right. Awesome. You know, I'm just so proud of. <coughs> of um, the different disciples in our church, but particularly our brother Anthony Melbrick. Oh, you know, Anthony is a guy who's really taken on a lot of responsibility all at the same time. Yeah. Come Comes to Seattle, gets a job, gets a better job. In the midst of trying to adjust to that job, gets a Bible talk. In the midst of trying to lead a Bible talk, gets a ministry. And the Lord's really entrusted a lot to him. And one thing I really appreciate about Anthony is his level of commitment to the learning process. I mean, he's so humble. You call it out. You say, bro, you should have done this. You could have done this. And he goes, you are right. I blew it. I am so sorry. I'm going to learn from this. God's going to move powerfully. I'm going to grow. And I'm going to help other people to grow. It's going to be awesome. I mean, just the most humble of a response that you could have imagined. But, you know, that's what it really means to cry out to God. To cry out to Jesus and go, you know what, Jesus? I know I'm taking it, but I know you can help me on this. No, the second thing I really pull out of this passage is the fact that Jesus has done this tremendous miracle in their lives and that heart to cry, but then we've got to continue to cry and continue to look for the change. So often these sins can creep back into our lives from our past, like impurity, insecurity, guilt, or other obvious sins. And these are the things that can really tangle up your heart and hurt you in a, in a very severe spiritual way. You know, these things cause suffering. You know, that the impurity that comes into the life of a man will just rob him of all confidence. The insecurity that comes into the heart of a sister, but really anybody, just robs us of all confidence of standing before the throne of God's grace. The guilt, being guilt-driven, feeling guilty for things that you're not guilty for. Guilt is a state, not an emotion. And yet we can allow it to really rule in our hearts and be driven by our guilt. And pain from the past. And yet the Bible says that we should not live in regret. But a godly sorrow leaves no regret. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, one of the brothers in the church that I really think embodies this passage perhaps more than anybody else is our brother Peter Jordan. Peter has changed so much in the last year and a half. And not a lot of people know his story. But you know, Peter was around... The church around fellowship for over 30 years, living a double life, not as spiritual as you might think. And God exposed some sin in his life, and it just became obvious 
that he had been lying for a long time. This hurt his family. It hurt his marriage, hurt his parenting, hurt his friends. But ultimately, it really hurt God. But I do believe that God was fired up. That it got exposed because then he was able to face the facts and change and repent. Yes. No more. Peter's sin was so severe, we had to ask him to leave the fellowship for 40 days. Mm-hmm. Now, I talked to Peter every single one of those 40 days. Yeah. Sometimes we pray for 10 minutes, sometimes we pray for two hours. Mm-hmm. We talked every day and prayed most days. You know, he, he radically changed. Yeah. He recommitted himself to transparency, honesty, truthfulness, mm-hmm. confession, openness on the temptation level, and God transformed his heart. Yeah. Yeah. He now is one of our most awesome song leaders in the church. Yeah. He's a great friend to so many of us. He's done a tremendous job training because he really wants to be a shepherd in the kingdom of yes. God someday. He's an awesome dad, an awesome husband. God has really brought so much healing into his life. Yeah. Healing. They're, these aren't temporary changes. These aren't just little phases that he's going through. There has been permanent change. He is a different man today than he was a year ago. Right. I mean, radically different. Right. If you saw the old Peter and the new Peter, you'd be confused. Oh, yeah. wow. You'd think he had an evil twin. <laughs> and that God has molded him and he has grown yeah. so much, freedom from so much sin. His heart has been liberated by oh, the sins of his past. And now he's committed to the process of growing his faith. When we have faith. And it's going to be according to our faith that it will be done to us. God wants us all to change. Secondly, we have to have faith in God for it to be done for us. Look over in Mark chapter 11. Come on. And you go, well, what's the difference? Let's take a closer look here. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Come on, bro. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. It's always good when you know Jesus is telling the truth. (laughs) If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whenever you ask for a prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. You know, I'm not trying to preach the prosperity gospel here, but Jesus said it first. Believe and you'll receive and I do believe that in a great way that if there is something in your life that's going to benefit your relationship with God and help you get to heaven, God wants to give it to you. Yeah. He wants to give it to you. Now, God knows more than all of us. And some of us may think that if we had an unlimited bank account, then we'd grow in our faith. Some of us like to think that, sisters, if you had an unlimited wardrobe, you could grow in your faith. And yet, if we have an unlimited faith, Whatever you ask for in prayer, God wants to give it to you because it's going to help you get to heaven. You know, Jesus cursed the fig tree right before this. He altered nature. The one thing that is totally out of our hands, he changed. And I think that when we look into the mirror, we got to go, wow, if God can change me, 
God can change them. Yeah. And in a real way, I think God wants to use us to change other people. You guys with me here? Yeah. I mean, God has no issue with giving you what you want if it's going to help you get to heaven. Yeah. We need to consider a few passages. John chapter 15 and verse 7. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Romans 14 verse 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Mm -hmm. You realize it's possible to look like a Christian but not actually be one? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's possible to go through the motions, to go to church, to read your Bible, to do these things, but yet not have a personal relationship with God. Yeah. The Bible says that if you do anything without faith, you are in sin. Yeah. Now that hits home for most of us. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Again, you can be doing all the right things, but with a bad heart. And you will not please God. Another, perhaps more encouraging scripture, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 11. God says that faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. You go, well, that's not very encouraging. I mean, I don't want to be faithless or unfaithful. But what the scriptures are teaching right here is even if you have a little bit of faith, you're better off than the unfaithful. Wow. You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus brought Satan to nothing. Mm -hmm. According to Hebrews chapter 9, he is now a not, a zero factor. Yeah. Wow. And it doesn't take much to be more than a zero. Yeah. I mean, isn't it incredible? I think we all want to look at our faith on a scale of 1 to 10 and go, man, I want to be a 10 when I die. But the reality is, even if you die at a point zero 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 one, you're still greater than Satan. Yeah. Faithless Israel, yeah, it's not a lot of faith, but faithless Israel, hey, they're more righteous, they're better off than unfaithful Judah. Yeah. Wow. See, the challenge of a Christian is just never give up. Yeah. You fail when you fail to get up. Right. Yeah. Wow. But when you decide to persevere and fight for your faith, even if you got a minuscule amount, God goes, well, hey, that's righteous. I'll take it. Mm. Some is better than none. Come on, bro. You know, that's not the goal, though. I mean, your goal isn't to die at point zero 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 one percent We want to be full of faith, amen? Yeah. We want to be filled with faith from the Word of God. You know, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know, we get faith from the scriptures. Now, we get encouragement from stories. We get fired up about miracles. But faith comes from the word of God. Amen. Now, I want to challenge our young Christians. Because, you see, young Christians, and I know because I was one. You come around the fellowship, and you get a lot of encouragement, and you get a lot of zeal, and it is possible to kind of ride on the zeal of your roommates for a little while. But then there comes a point when no one saves to a seat at church anymore. There comes a point when your disciple doesn't initiate that D-time. There comes a point when no one's getting you onto their double dates. You see what I'm saying? And it's all about you, and it comes down to your faith. Yeah. Well, then it's going to come down to your walk with God. Yeah. You know, I think back to when I was a young Christian, and I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I, I studied the Bible at 13 years old, and 
You know, I, I had known a lot of the things that I had read about. My parents were excellent examples of what a Christian looks like. Almost every day I'd wake up, my dad was up at 5 a.m. reading his Bible in his chair with his coffee, his Bible, his commentaries, his notebook. He does it to this day. He got baptized back in 1980. He's been doing it for quite some time. So I, I had phenomenal examples of Christianity, even in my house. And yeah, when I personally studied the Bible at 13 years old, I saw the truth for the first time in a personal way. You know, it's one thing to go to church and hear sermons, go, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. But once you start adding to that message, Jesus died on the cross for me, it kind of hits home and you've got to make some personal decisions. And so I, I went through all that and I decided, you know what, I'm 13 years old, I'm entering teenage years, my friends are out doing these other things, this is not how I want to be spending my time right now. And I went back out to the world, I did my own thing for a couple years. And then little by little, God started getting my attention. One of my good friends, Matt, got arrested at school in the hallway. He had a pound of marijuana in his backpack. And it wasn't legal. <laughs> and uh, good friends of mine, uh, some girls I grew up with, we had gone through elementary school together, middle school and high school. Uh, they got pregnant by their boyfriends, had to drop out of school and get taken care of by their parents and work little side jobs. And um, they, got, they got pregnant by a couple of my other friends. Uh, we had a little circle of, of uh, friends going in. You know, it was, it was eye-opening. And I wasn't the one doing drugs. I wasn't the one getting drunk all the time. i go to some parties here and there, but I was simply the guy in the corner with the Gatorade, just kind of enjoying my time. Um, you know, I, I, I'd play different games involving alcohol, and I would make other people drink it, so I didn't have to. I was, I was focused on basketball and making friends, and that was pretty much my life. And after a couple of years of that, I started feeling... Like the devil was encroaching on my life, and it was only going to be a matter of time before something like this was going to happen to me. You know, some people have to hit rock bottom before they turn to Jesus and go, okay, I'm ready to change my life. I never even hit rock bottom. I just saw rock bottom, like three miles away, and I thought, you know what, I'm, that's close enough. <laughs> I went to church, I grabbed the, some of the youth leaders, and said, guys, study the Bible with me. I'm, I'm ready to do this for real. And they studied the Bible with me, and uh, January 1st, of uh, this upcoming year will be 16 years in the world. Wow. You know, it's really incredible. It was a life-changing moment. And I was fired up for about six months. And then summertime hit. And all those demons started coming back into my life. The Bible says that they're going to leave, and then they're going to come back with their seven buddies. And that's what it was like. My sin was worse that summer than it had ever been before I became a Christian. The level of impurity... The level of partying, the level of drunkenness, all this kind of stuff just surrounded me. And I gave in to so many of these grave sins, and I had the worst summer of my life. And after a few months of that, I was listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning, and I decided to turn myself in. And um, no one knew I was living a double life. I was at church every week. I was at church every Sunday morning. I was at church every Wednesday night for the midweek services. I was at the youth group things on Friday nights, what we call devotionals. I never missed anything. But I was living this double life that nobody knew about. <coughs> and so I remember pulling this brother aside, and I just spilled the beans. I just got open about all this junk in my life. And I was expecting, you know, some sort of discipline from the church. I mean, I deserved it. I deserved it. And he looked at me, and he goes, well, Joel, um... Do you want to repent? I go, yeah, I think that's why I'm telling you all this stuff. 
Minus of k. And just with that? <laughs> I go, really? That, like, that, that's it? I mean, you're crying, you're broken, what more do you want? And I realized in that moment that it's not just the discipline of God that brings us to repentance, but also the grace of God and the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and some of us, you know, the way we were raised and things like that, you don't realize it, but you're waiting for the worst case scenario before you're going to repent. You're just expecting it. You're like, I'll do this until I hit rock bottom, and then I'll bounce back up. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to hit rock bottom. It doesn't have to get any worse before it can get better. You don't have to wait any longer to get open about the sins in your life to repent and be an awesome disciple of Jesus. Allow the kindness of God, the fact that you're here this morning. Allow the opportunity to even see the scriptures to change your life. Don't wait for a rebuke from the Lord. It's not going to turn out great anyways. <laughs> you know, we really need to be faithful in our prayers. And we ought to have the heart to concern ourselves with the things that concern God. Yeah. Isn't that what you do for the ones that you love? Yeah. You concern yourself with the things that they're concerned with. Yeah. And for me, that's how I got closer to Courtney. I mean, I committed myself to learning to like coffee. I hated coffee my whole life. My, my parents would drink coffee every day. It gave a terrible aroma to the kitchen. I hated coffee. But I knew if I'm going to get closer to this woman who I love with all my heart, I'm going to have to learn to like Starbucks. <laughs> Our very first date ever was at Starbucks. And I decided, okay, I'm going to learn to like coffee. Because that's what you do for the ones that you love. You know, when you, when you love your brothers and sisters around you, you make their interests your interests. Yeah. Yeah. You make their concerns your concerns. Yeah. When they're in pain, you're in pain. Yeah. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we right. mourn with those right. who mourn. Right. And at the same time, we got to get concerned about things that God's concerned about. Yeah. God is concerned about the lack of faith. Yeah. God is concerned about this wicked world. He's concerned. In Genesis um, chapter 6, he's concerned about the state of the world, and he floods it. Yeah. In Exodus chapter 3, he's concerned with his people being distressed in the bondage of slavery under the Egyptians, and he saves them. Yeah. We've got to be concerned yeah. about our lives and about the world around us. Come on. You know, there's a special couple down in Portland, Oregon, um, named Rich and Hannah Hardy. Right. Yeah. Rich and Hannah were converted at the University of Oregon many years ago. And they got married about four years ago or so. And God's really moved in their life in a great way. They, they got married, and they moved to Portland, Oregon. And it was in Portland that they were going to just work on their marriage and really help to build the ministry there in Portland. And God's really worked in a great way. God's Raised them up in a very powerful way. They're leading Bible talk. It was, it was doing well. They started leading a ministry. It did well. They led a house church, which is many Bible talks. It did really well. And it was pretty awesome. Because what God's done recently is he's raised them up to an even new, higher level. It was, it, was, it was only three weeks ago that I pulled them aside at the Castillo wedding. And I said, guys, I got a challenge for you. And they said, well, what is it? I go, listen, I, I know... Hannah, I know you're making more money than you've ever made before. Rich, I know you just got a really stable job. 
and, and, and you're bringing in the dough, and good job on that one. I know your daughter, you got a toddler running around going crazy. Hannah, I know you're about to pop with that baby. I know you're, you know, you're, you're due in just a few weeks. But I want to add something else to your plate. How would you guys like to just give all that up, get rid of your home here in Portland, and move down to Eugene and go into the part-time ministry? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even offer them full-time ministry. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, this is your foot ministry. You can go into part-time ministry. You'll still have to work side jobs, but man, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And it was incredible. Rich. Lit up like a light. He goes, yeah. I want to leave. I've been praying for this opportunity. Yeah. 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 a little bit more logical route, and she's crying a little bit over there. Go, What's going on? She's like, Well, you know, I just got, I got a raise. I got, I got this, you know, my job getting me a nice car, and I got to give up the Prius now, and I got, you know, these kids. But you know what, Joel? This is an answer to prayer. I've been praying for an opportunity to go in the ministry for a few years now, and the answer is yes. Yeah. Now, there was one family member that they were both concerned about. Hannah was pretty fired up that her parents were going to be supportive, and Rich was fired up that most of his family was going to be supportive. But there's one family member they are a little shaky on. And Rich has been kind of holding out for the last few weeks, trying to tell, figure out how to tell this person, hey, we're, we're giving up our careers to go into the part-time ministry. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yesterday, he took this person on a walk. And he said, hey, listen, i got to tell you about what God's doing in my life, what God's doing in, in my family. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of vision here for how, you know, God's going to raise up our, our kids, Ava and Davis here. And, and I want to be the best dad, the best husband. I want to be the most incredible son to you. Uh, I, I, I really hope and pray you, you, you take this, this uh, news well. But we're quitting our jobs. We're moving down to Eugene, Oregon. And we're going to go into the part-time ministry. <laughs> and this, this one family member was like, okay. Rich was like, really? I mean, that, that's it? I mean, so often we worry about things that we don't need to be worrying about. Yeah. God's been working behind the scenes yes. for months and years yeah. to prepare people's hearts for these type of things. Yeah. And all we need to do is have a little bit of faith. Yeah. And God can do the miracle. Yes. You know, all we need is a mustard seed of faith, and we can throw that mountain into the sea. Yeah, and I know these guys are full of faith. They're going to have a huge impact at the oh, University yeah. of Oregon and all of Eugene as graduates, and God's going to raise them up in a great way down there. Amen? Yeah. You know, I think that to a degree, point number one applies to us. We can, we can control ourselves and how we grow spiritually. Point number two as well, I mean, you, you after all, have influence over the people around you. And yeah, point number three might be a little more challenging for us to really believe. But point number three is, let it be done just as you believed. You see, there are certain things in life that are just completely out of our reach. Out of our sight, out of our mind, out of our reach. Look over in Matthew chapter 8. Come on. Come on. Verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I did not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. That one, come and he comes. I say to the servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not seen anyone in Israel with such great faith. Yeah. I say to you, 
that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast in, uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. At, and his servant was healed that very hour. You see, the centurion is a Roman. He's a Gentile. And the way that Rome governed things back in the day is they wouldn't have you captured and then exile you and bring you into their homeland. They'd let you stay where you were at, and then they'd put governors and, and other sort of military leaders over you just to make sure things don't get out of control. Yeah. And so the centurion, being a guy over soldiers, probably had a village or a town, something like that, and he was kind of the guy in charge of everything that, that went on around there. So he's not a Jew. He didn't grow up with any sort of Jewish Old Testament faith. And yet being around these faithless Jews actually gave him enough faith to have this opportunity to come to Jesus. Now Jesus looked at the Jews time and time again and rebuked them for their lack of faith. But hey, again, even a little faith is better than no faith. Yeah. And this little bit of faith from the Jews rubbed off onto the centurion. And he comes to Jesus and he tells them about a hardship that he's going through. He goes, listen, I got a slave. I got this slave, but right now they're paralyzed, and I need them to do some work for me. Can you help me on out? Jesus goes, sure, uh, I'll be right over. And he goes, no, no that, that's not what I meant, Jesus. I'm not asking you to come under my roof. No, I don't deserve to have you in my presence. I'm just, I'm just saying, just say the words, and I, I know he'll be healed. Jesus is like, what? <laughs> hey! Hey, you guys hear this? Repeat that for these guys. He is amazed. He's astonished. He can't believe that this guy has the faith that Jesus can heal something, deal with something, completely out of this guy's control. He goes, Jesus, I don't even think you need to touch this person. Think about this person. Just say the words. I know it'll be done. This is the faith that Jesus has been waiting for in Israel this whole time. And if only everybody had this level of unlimited faith, Come on. God could do great things. But we know it's not unlimited. Because it would be done as he believed. And right here we see the centurion made a little mistake. He only believed that Jesus would heal it within the hour. I mean, how many times has Jesus snapped his fingers and someone's healed? Right. And yet, according to this guy's belief, he had brought his cynical humanism into the situation, and he probably closed his eyes and envisioned, well, Jesus is going to say the words, and then the sound waves are going to travel, and it'll take about an hour to get to this guy, and then he'll be healed. So yes, according to what he believed, it was done. But isn't it awesome to think that Jesus can do more faster? Yeah. yeah. Jesus can do more faster? I mean, this could have been instantaneous. How many times do we bring something before God and we put a timeline on it? You don't have to put a timeline on it. Jesus can work instantaneously. It's going to be done as we believe. You know, our world is full of very grim statistics. And without faith, without Jesus, we can become one of those statistics. And yet with this level of faith, God can use us to please us, that God can use us to benefit the rest of the world. Hold on a second, I, I 
I'm going to read a poem. I left it in my seat. David, maybe you can like, cut that part out. So. <laughs> There's a, a poem by, by a guy named Kenneth Kaufman called Three Tame Ducks. There are three tame ducks in our backyard, dabbling in mud and trying hard to get their share and maybe more of the overflowing barnyard store. Satisfied with the task they're at of eating and sleeping and getting fat. But whenever the free wild ducks go by in a long line streaming down the sky, they cock a quizzical puzzled eye and flap their wings and try to fly. I think my soul is a tame old duck, dabbling around in barnyard muck, fat and lazy with useless wings, but sometimes when the north wind sings and the wild ones hurl overhead, <laughs> It remembers something lost and dead, and cocks a wary, bewildered eye, and makes a feeble attempt to fly. It's fairly content with the state it's in, but it isn't the duck it might have been. Wow. Now, we have no concern of a barnyard duck. It doesn't affect us in any way, but how often we can settle yeah. to be a barnyard duck playing in the muck, getting all fat. It's a temptation in our world. Not to get fat, but just you know, it's never <laughs> <up>. <laughs> But I want to I pose you with a question. What could God do with unlimited faith? What would God do with unlimited faith? I mean, how could God change a man that had unlimited faith? What effect on others will a man who has unlimited faith have? What would happen to the world around us if we all had this unlimited faith? You see, we've got to devote ourselves to this idea of having unlimited faith. Yes. I mean, you've got to commit yourself to having unlimited faith. When you're praying and you put a timeline on it, correct yourself and get rid of the, the, the timeline. Have an unlimited faith. I believe that God wants to change us so that we can change those around us so that we will see the world turn the right side up. Yeah. Let's have an unlimited faith. Why not? Why not? There are so many things that God wants to do and can do if we would not hold him back. I agree with Blaze. Let's get back to an unlimited faith. Come on. Man.